Um, very good. So today we are finishing the letter to the Philippians. Paul wrote this letter from a prison context, uh, as we've already heard. And as we've already seen throughout the letter, Paul really, really, really loves the Philippian church. He has been effusive and enthusiastic in his words. Um, and we're going to see some, of, uh, some more of that over the next 20 minutes or so. Um, I know this is a letter that's many people's favourite, uh, and I hope you've enjoyed walking through it with us. So here we come to the final section, and Paul is closing his letter, um, and we're looking at provision today. If you've been with us for the last 10 weeks or so, you'll know that we've been looking at pursuing various things, pursuing Christ, pursuing salvation, pursuing community. But I've entitled this morning, The Joy of Provision, rather than Pursuing Provision, and you'll see why as we read together. So if you have a Bible, we're in Philippians 4, verses 10 and through to the end. So let's read together. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May it bring the freedom and the life and the change that you want to see in each of us and in our community today. Amen. So today I'm going to be speaking to two groups of people. Uh, the first is those with less than enough. And I know that speaking on provision during a time of economic pressure um, for individuals and organisations, um, this you know, there'll be many who are thinking, oh no, a sermon about money, like everything else that's going on today of all days. But I want to encourage you that this is still a letter of joy, uh, as we've seen throughout the letter, and that there is freedom and joy and provision for us as we study this together. So if you've got less than enough, this is for you. And secondly, this is a passage for those with more than enough. Um, Paul, in this text, says he learnt one secret um, but he says it's a secret about how to be content in two situations, when we're well-fed and living in plenty, 
and when we're hungry and living in want. So there's one secret here that unlocks contentment in both of those things in in all seasons of life. So if we're familiar with the letter to the Philippians, which I hope we are by now, uh, it should be no surprise to read the first few words of this passage. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. So this is the first thing. Provision leads to rejoicing. Paul has received some provision here. And his right and natural response is to rejoice. Hooray! The letter to the Philippians is known as the letter of joy. And this is actually the 15th mention of joy or rejoicing in the letter. Paul's just effusive. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, making my prayer with joy. He's joyful because Christ is proclaimed. He says, in that I rejoice. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And so on and so on. Um, And here, he doesn't just say, I rejoice. He says, I rejoice greatly. In the Greek, he says, I mega rejoice. There's a rejoicing that's natural when provision comes. And the people of God have always been doing this. The people of Israel particularly got hold of this. And it led to this confident culture of joy among them. Um, And they were particularly good at remembering the previous provision that God had made for them, of rejoicing back over what God had done. And that's some of what we've seen in the Facebook comments this morning. I hope that one of the comments that came out was when Oxford Community Church received a cheque for £800,000. I hope that was in there. If not, um, ask someone who's been at ACC a bit longer what that's about. And that's a story that we need to tell again and again because God provided for us in a remarkable way there. And the Passover in the people of Israel's life was their primary annual expression of this. It was this rich meal of significance and symbolism that rejoiced that God had led them out of Egypt and provided for them and saved them in remarkable ways. Um, And the meal has different aspects of that. They have bread, which reminds them of manna in the desert. They have lamb, which reminds them that God provided protection for them from the plague that was coming. So God has provided for us and we can rejoice. It's the natural thing to do. Um, If God's provided for you, you might consider throwing a provision party. That's basically what the Passover is. And there is joy in the scriptures. We follow a remarkably joyful God. Um, I was struck by just reflecting on the parables um, over this week. And out of about 23, 25 parables, nine of them explicitly mention God being joyful or God throwing a party. Um, I don't know if that's the sort of God that you think of when you think of our God, but but it's in there as Jesus describes this God, this Father that we get to follow. Um, There's the parable of the hidden treasure. It says, in his joy, he went and bought the field. Uh, The parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd goes and throws a party when he finds him. The wedding banquet, there's a couple of wedding banquets actually, and the parable of the lost coin and the lost son, the prodigal son. In both of those, the the father or the finder throws a party when they've found. Now we can get a little awkward about rejoicing about material provision, can't we? If you get a new job with more pay, or a really lucrative contract comes through, um, or an outrageous and generous gift, um, Do do we sometimes get a bit bashful and we go, oh, you shouldn't have, or oh, I don't deserve this, or something like that? I want to encourage us to be expectant 
and ready to rejoice when provision comes. When's the last time you rejoiced properly? Maybe it was the fact that the Premier League has restarted, um, or if you're a Palace fan, um, maybe the COVID test came back negative, or the antibody test came back positive. I think we can grow in rejoicing, uh, just like God rejoices. And Paul writes that he has learned to be content whatever the circumstances. It's clear from here that there's a lesson to be learnt, even in plenty. Um, it's not that, that lack or poverty is, a, is the only trial. Actually, Paul says there's something to be learnt when we're in plenty. So when we receive, we need to learn how to deal with that plenty. So Paul's experience tells us there's something to be learned. And when he says learned, he means initiated in. He's grown in an understanding of how to be content in plenty. So the secret here that Paul says is, my God will supply all your needs. Provision is coming, and we get to be ready to rejoice when that provision comes. God will provide, and we can be confident of that. So a response to this Is there a provision that you still need to celebrate? You can celebrate by giving some of it away. You can celebrate by giving glory to God uh, in private or before others, throwing a party, or by telling a testimony of how God has provided for you. Let's be a rejoicing people as God provides for us. So the first thing is provision leads to rejoicing. And secondly, provision proves relationship. There's two relationships that Paul describes in this passage. Firstly, he describes relationship with God. He says, my God will meet all your needs. We've prayed this morning, our Father. This God isn't just a God who's out there and and holy and separate. God has come close. He's my God. He's our God. And so Paul's learned this secret that my God will supply all your needs. Paul has experienced God for him, and he can therefore confidently declare that. Reminds me of Jesus telling us about the Father in Matthew chapter 7. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Whether your experience of fatherhood has been positive or less than positive, We can look to our Father, our God, my God, to provide for us and be good. And you'll note that there's only two things that God does in this passage. He supplies all your needs and he gives me strength in verse 13. Um, And I I love that word, gives me strength. In the Greek, it actually, um, it's it's endunamunti. It's got the sense of he puts dynamite in us. He, he, He fills us with This isn't just a little bit of strength. This is powerful strength. So in both of these things, God is characterized as a good giver of things that we need and that are good for us. The other relationship Paul describes is with people. He says, I rejoiced greatly that you showed your concern for me at last. He's been waiting a little bit for that provision to come. Paul knew that the Philippians cared Um, And he never doubted it, but when he got a gift from them, it proved it, it confirmed it. We know that people love us, 
but when they demonstrate their care for us in a tangible way, doesn't that just make such a difference? Um, we have been overwhelmed in a good way recently by the love of people around us. And I know that on the, on the Facebook comments, there's been lots of stories of this one provided a meal for me or you know, this one did that for me. And that's awesome. Um, just a couple of examples. We've had people uh, cook meals for us. We had someone say, um, I want to cook a meal for you. Um, and she's trained in catering. So that was a good offer to take up. Um, We've had people drop breakfast around. We've had people shop for us. It's been a, it's been a blessing and it's been a, a proof, a demonstration of the care that people have. What's the best gift you've ever been given? Um, I reckon it's probably something from someone who knows you well or knew you well. And it's probably something that said, I see you, I know you and I care about you. I understand your needs and I carry you in my heart. Provision is a way of proving that, of demonstrating it, of working it out. There's a wonderful story told of Barack Obama as a young senator in his first week in Washington. He went to visit a guy called Teddy Kennedy, who was one of the oldest senators in the House. And as he walked into his office, he commented on a painting that Teddy Kennedy had, had, written, uh, had painted that was hanging on the wall. And that was the end of it. He just said, that's lovely. Um, to his surprise, uh, a couple of days later, Barack Obama received that very painting as a gift from Teddy Kennedy with a little note which said to Barack, I love your audacity. With great respect and warmest wishes, Ted Kennedy. That painting still hangs in his dining room and it just showed that this older senator had seen him, had understood him and cared. A gift proves relationship. So Paul expected that the Philippians would come through for him and he expected all the more that this loving God would come through for him. So what do we learn here? Provision isn't a transaction. It's a relational exchange. When my God provides for us, he demonstrates his heart, his care and his character towards us. And we can expect him to do that. And when God's people care about something or someone, that also looks like practical and tangible provision. So a simple response, who can you show your concern and care for this week through practical provision? So we've seen that provision leads to rejoicing and that provision proves relationship. And then the final thing I want to say is that provision brings a reward. So Paul is, is grateful and effusive in his thanks for the gift that has been given. But Paul says something quite strange. He says, I'm glad that you've sent this gift, um, but I didn't need it. Although he actually did. He was in material need and he was content. And having received the gift, he's now amply supplied. He has more than enough is what that means. So the focus of his thanks isn't really on himself, although he did need the gift, or on the gift. It's actually on the spiritual fruit that comes to the givers. So Paul's words here are abundant. He says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. So Paul actually sees past this physical gift to, to something else here. And the, the phrase here is, um, it's a picture of fruit abounding 
to your account. Um, there's this word superabound, so it's a sort of continual abounding and increasing growth that Paul longs for them to have in their spiritual credit. So there's a picture here of financial interest that's accruing. Um, in this letter, he speaks of joy 15 times. He speaks of abundance nine times and includes this increasing abundance that he longs for the Philippians. So this isn't a, you've given to me, I hope the same gets added to you. No, he's, he's going beyond that. He's saying, you know, what you've given to me, I hope that more's given to you spiritually in your spiritual account. And we can remember here Jesus' words that it is better to give than to receive and his instruction to store up treasure in heaven. That's something of, of what's going on here. Paul knows that giving is good for the recipient. He has benefited from this material provision. So that's the first thing. Secondly, he knows that giving is good for the giver. Um, he knows that there's now a spiritual fruit that comes to the, Philippian, to, to the Philippian church for this gift. And then the third thing is giving in this way gives glory to God. It's not bad for one gift. It gives material provision to the recipient. It gives spiritual benefit to the giver. And it brings glory to God. Three for the price of one. And even the smallest gift multiplies in these three ways. There's a spiritual principle here, which is that what we give to the kingdom is added to our spiritual ledger. That's the imagery used. Um, and the principle of compound interest applies. It keeps growing. It grows and grows and grows. So Paul receives their gift because he wants them to be blessed by giving it. And he makes a declaration. He says, you met my need... And then there's a promise for, for you, for, for the giver. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And this starts small. The principle doesn't just apply for those who have more than enough. The principle is at work for everyone who gives. Jesus commends a widow for giving two small coins out of her lack. And a lady comes to Jesus, Nom's just uh, spoken on this story, and pours out expensive perfume on him. And he commends her for her beautiful acts. So whether giving out of our lack or out of our plenty, there's an abundance there. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul actually talks about this gift that the Macedonian church, including the Philippian church, uh, gave to him. What he says is quite remarkable. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That includes this church in Philippi. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy, there's the joy again, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us for the favour of taking part in the relief of saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So Paul understands this spiritual secret in giving we receive. In refreshing others, we are refreshed. We have the joy in, in Oxford of having much to give away. We resource many. We have a beautiful building that we can make use of to bless others. And it's not something to be ashamed about. We don't need to do that in a sort of bashful or quiet way. We can rejoice at the Philippians' generosity, and we can know that all generosity in the kingdom brings this threefold blessing 
blesses Paul practically, it stores up treasure for those who have given, and it blesses the heart of a good father who loves to see his children care and provide for the needs around them. So generosity unlocks a reward. Provision releases a reward, a blessing. And Paul says, my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul ends this letter, the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. So there's a response here for us to be an abundant and generous people, expectant that God will provide. So Paul's final, final phrase, my God, this relational father, who he knows there's this relational exchange, my God will supply, he's confident in the provision of a good father, and will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul has learned the secret of being content. And just in the previous chapters, we've seen that secret. He said he counts all things rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Paul writes to the Roman church, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Paul knows the secret of being content in lack or in plenty. And it's the fact that he's counted all things as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. If God gave Jesus, his son, to die on the cross and save us, we can have confidence in his goodness. We can have confidence in his provision and we can rejoice together when we receive it. So let's be an expectant and generous people together. Steve. especially with food and that's there's gratitude for that Sanjay's spoken about that as well this morning um quite a few comments about financial needs being met despite sickness despite lockdown despite difficulty with jobs uh, provision of a car as well when it was needed so that's all very wonderful and then there's some more relational things people expressing gratitude for connection that's possible online and people who've been housebound uh, for longer than lockdown, finding a fresh connection with other people in this season. Uh, connection for students in their commissioning at the end of the year. Um, I love what Adrienne Blakey wrote about being supplied with words of encouragement. Wow, we really need those, don't we? They can be life-changing, and uh, we have those to share with one another as well. Um, the Mondays have been blessed with puppy visits. That sounds like a, a very good provision. And uh, thank you, Keith, Keith Elmet, for uh, commenting on the remarkable sunshine. I mean, that could have, we could fail to comment on that, but in a period of lockdown, 
we've had the, in May, I know it's changed a little bit at the moment, the sun's coming back later in the week, but in the, we had the longest and most extraordinary period of sunshine that allowed us to get out and about uh, and enjoy the outdoors through this lockdown period. And I think a lot of glory should go to God for that provision, which has done so much for everyone's mental well-being, physical well-being in this extraordinary time. So if you're able to look at those comments, do there's some things that have been shared for those of you who weren't able to do so. Um, I do also just want to thank everyone who's continuing to give financially to the church at this time, making tithes, financial offerings, um, if you'd like to give to the church and you're unsure how to do so, you can go on our website to the, uh, if you click on the Get Involved uh, tab at the top of the homepage and then click on Giving, you can find information there. I'd also like to flag up that Tyndale Community School, which has been providing food boxes to families in need throughout the lockdown, uh, are continuing to provide those food boxes, but their funds for doing so have begun to fall to a low state and so if you are in a position where at the moment actually you do have more than enough, or even maybe stepping out in faith when you're not sure you've got enough, there is a real need there. You can go to the school, to Tyndale Community School's home page on the web, and there's information there for how you can give to help with the costs of that provision of food to people in need in our city. Okay, I think we're just about done. I do want to let you know that next Sunday's live stream is going to be a little bit different again. It's going to be streamed from here at the King Centre, but it's a regional celebration for us, which means that Lifehouse Community Church are joining together with Oxford Community Church. Mark Ely is going to be leading that service, and Dave Richards, whom many of you will know, is going to be speaking to us. Uh, for now, all that remains for me is to say that I am very much looking forward to seeing you in the flesh when that's possible. Uh, we're waiting on government announcements as to how lockdown restrictions might be further eased. Uh, we're clear that we won't be trying to gather physically as a, as a congregation altogether until at least the 12th of July. Uh, we know that we need to approach these changes with consideration and make sure that it's a good and safe experience for everybody when we do, but we're still longing for that ability to be together. Uh, until then, please be assured that you're in my prayers and those of, uh, I'm sure, the whole church community praying for one another at this time. And God bless you.